Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the new movie Yesterday. Imagine a world where no one remembers the Beatles except you. From the director of Slumdog Millionaire and the writer of Love Actually comes a rock and roll comedy about music, dreams, friendship, and the long winding road that leads to the love of your life. Yesterday, in theaters, this Friday. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRigger.com and joining me, breaking some sort of silence vow on the set of Briar Patch, it's Andy Greenwald! I'm standing in a field. I had to walk <laughs> so far away because I got that call from Kaya that I hear, we're rolling, we're rolling. I was like, you know, I'm going to choose my first show before this show. They got fields in New Mexico? Um, there's a small patch of grass. This is a rare day. I, I don't know if you can hear a bird singing because there's one bird here. We've spent we spent most of the first week just in dusty parking lots. Yeah, with a temperature of 94 degrees. Which, so today, as you would anyway, even if you weren't making a television show. Oh, sure, with with meth vials as well. But no, we are under trees today, so That's good. it's a, a blessing. That's good. So, how's things going today? Well, first of all, Chris, I think we should be honest with our listeners. I saw you yesterday. You did. So you could you you could you could do a report. And let me tell you something. Patch from this guy, he wears so many hats now: showrunner, writer. You know, and, uh, and I'm wearing I'm wearing a hat. He's wearing wear a hat, hat now. Don't Literally. ever don't ever let anybody tell you that you've lost your touch on the grill. Because <laughs> this guy marinated lovely chicken thighs. Which have they officially <clears throat> replaced chicken breast as the as the go to chicken of choice? Well, uh, come on. If you want you want a juicier chicken, you got to go dark meat. But I think everybody knows that. Yes. And what was, was that marinade just like a kind of whatever you had in the cupboard kind of thing? That's kind of my go-to. Are we, are, we doing, are we doing some Pollo talk? Did you want to talk television? <laughs> I think you know more about Pollo at this point. I've definitely spent more time marinating chicken thighs than I have spent watching television, which I know will make, well, I know it'll make the Facebook group go nuts. <laughs> but that was very nice. Chris and his wife came over for yesterday. I flew back to LA for, for 24 lovely family hours. And, uh, and now I'm back here. I'm back on set. And uh, it's a big day. We had some big news. Can I goose our casting news today? Come on, go for it. We had uh, announced two fucking legends have joined the cast. We have eight-time Emmy Award winner Ed Asner in the cast. And we have, I believe he also won an Emmy and a Tony. And is well on his way to some kind of cross-cultural EGOT. Alan Cumming yeah. is up in here. Alan Cumming is, Ooh, is a big get, dog. You may remember Alan Cumming from such shows as Christine Baranski's The Good Wife. Yes. Have you started talking to him about that? I have not. Alan hasn't started working yet. Um, we traded a very lovely email in which he referred to his character as a delicious monster, which is far better than I could do. But today is Ed's first day of work, which is incredible. I went up to him and I said, Mr. Asner, we're so, so happy to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. And he sort of said, oh, thank you. And I said, uh, are there any questions I can answer for you? And he said... Tell me how you like the way I say the lines after I say them. <laughs> I was like, well, done and done. Yeah. If it all could be <laughs> so simple. Easy. So do you guys have any night shoots this week? Uh, we do. We have a, we're going to have a long night on Friday, so I'm going to be miserable. But otherwise, things are bright and sunny, starting the day off well. Rosario took the whole cast and crew uh, to a combination bowling and laser tag spot. Was that to celebrate her appearance on The Watch? She's still reeling from that, you know, that instant podcast. I promised you some some people today, but we're shooting background right now. I think everybody's chilling in their trailer. That's fine. So, 
No, vibes are good. Vibes are good. I heard Dark came out. Dark, Did you watch it? I had Gallagher came on today uh, to talk about the first two episodes of Dark. Can I tell you something? Time travel is yeah. incredibly complicated, my guy. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not doing it on the show. Mysteries are hard enough. Me and my wife are, are watching travel. with a notepad pad out, like taking notes on the show, trying to figure out what's going on. I do want to assure people, I am very excited to watch Dark Season 2. And if we don't have night shoes until the end of the week, there's a chance I could watch a little bit of dark. Nice. Okay, so we'll be looking forward for that. Andy will go to the Facebook group, share his marinade for chicken thighs. That can be his contribution to to culture for the week. Chris, I go mustard heavy. That's the thing you might not know about me. I do some (laughs) mustard, maple syrup, soy, a little whisper of miso. See, yeah, you're the miso kid. That's what they say about you around the kitchen. Yes. Young Miso. Okay. Yep. Andy, hopefully we'll be back on shortly. Alan Cumming, Ed Asner have joined the cast of Briar Patch. It's exciting stuff, exciting times. Dude, don't step on anything sharp uh, while you're walking around in a, the one field in Albuquerque. And uh, good luck this week. <laughs> this is quite lovely. Thank you. It was great seeing you yesterday. It's great to talk to everybody. I will, I will, I will deliver. I will deliver on this sort of improvisational and concrete podcast. I'm going to grab someone and make them appear on the watch, whether they like it or not, I promise. <laughs> okay. Call me again. Call me again. Will do. All right, now I'll be joined by Allison Herman, and we're going to talk about our TV superlatives for the 2019 year so far. So now I'm joined by Allison Herman. Allison, what's up? Not too much. Not since I last saw you on Thursday? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We haven't... I've watched like four more Bon Appetit videos in the meantime, <laughs> but other than that... Allison and I here, so this week on The Ringer, we're doing the best of 2019 so far. We did all the moments today. I think we've got TV going up tomorrow. It's the best TV moments of the year. Allison and I are here to talk about basically our TV superlatives for the year so far. So we could come up with a list, but the list would probably be, I think, pretty close to one another if we did a list of best shows. I mean, there would be some divergence, but I mean, like, you would probably te- have Too Old to Die Young higher than me, but yeah. You know. I know, it's hard to find anyone who's <laughs> as devoted to three-minute close-ups of Miles, uh, Miles Teller's face than me, but... Um, but what we're going to do today instead is superlative. So basically, it's kind of like awards, but we each did five. We didn't tell each other what they were first, and this is just a way, to, a different way to talk about, like, kind of like the same shows that we've been talking about for the last few months. So we'll do five superlatives each for TV 2019 so far. Allison, why don't you get us started? I'm just going to start with my first show of the year that like really stood out to me as something special and interesting and exciting. And this was great because it happened in January. So I feel like there was early evidence that 2019 would maybe be a stronger year than 2018, which, as we've talked about, was like a little bit of an ebb yeah. in the ebb and flow yeah, of peak yeah. TV. And... It also coincides with a lot of people tend to ask me, you know, there's so much on TV, but, like, I just want something that's comforting and funny and compact. And, you know, you've talked about Bless This Mess in terms of the sitcom gap. Yeah. And my vote for best sitcom of the year so far is The Other Two, which is a show on Comedy Central. So it's not quite the, like, 22 episodes of The Office, but it is— a really great, really sharp, really specific story about a brother and a sister played by Drew Tarver and Helen York, whose much younger brother becomes a Justin Bieber-style mm-hmm. YouTube breakout. And it's a comedy about this very 2019 experience of feeling ancient when you're 28 and totally out of cu- touch with popular culture because popular culture is now made for 11-year-old, for and by 11-year-olds on the internet. It's also just about New York City and being 
a gay man or a straight woman and that specific culture. There is an entire episode of this show dedicated to the concept of instigays, which <laughs> you either know what that concept is or you can learn a lot about it. Actually, but, don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can. <laughs> there's an explainer waiting for you. Fantastic. But literally, I was talking with a friend who's about to go on a trip to Palm Springs with a bunch of other gay men, and he referenced the episode to be like, I will be taking lots of photos. I will not be in many photos because that is literally the subplot of this episode okay. is this guy who's an <laughs> aspiring actor who's like trying and failing to get in this photo with these gay men who are just like constantly shirtless and taking like hiking pictures at Runyon <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> It's so it, exactly. It's so well observed. It is so specific, but in that way that like you will get the joke because it's so clearly made by people who like and understand each other and speak the same language. It's created by Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, who are former co-head writers of SNL. It has that sensibility of like these people sure. just know what they are doing. While they were at SNL, they also did a lot of the parody music videos like Back Home Ballers and Do It In My Twin Bed, which means that they really know how to do like a parody of a pop star. Yeah. And that's very much in their wheelhouse, but they also get the space to like tell a bigger story. It's a 10 episode first season. Periodically, Comedy Central will make it available for free to people to binge. I think they just took it offline, but you know, you can find it all the usual places. It's unfortunately not on like a streaming site because Comedy Central remains committed to getting people to pay for this, but strong recommend and like the first show of the year that really made my ears perk up. Nice. Okay. So my first superlative is kind of goes nicely with that. It's the best thing that came actually came out in 2018, but was really a 2019 show. So sometimes stuff drops in like December of, of a year and essentially a lot of you know, media sites have sort of ramped down for the rest of the year. We're doing a lot of best of the year coverage already. So it kind of, whatever kind of slips in in late December there gets or, lost. Or people need to go home and be on their couches to consume it and then start talking exactly. about but it. Exactly. But then it kind of like, maybe it gets chatted about a little bit more in January of the next year. That happened with Dark the first time around. This time I felt like it happened with Dairy Girls. Dairy Girls was out in the UK, I think, early in 2018. It finally hit Netflix kind of in late 2018 in December. And people really started to pick up on it in 2019 in January. If you haven't seen it already, uh, the first season is... I think like six episodes long. It's on Netflix. Oh, like all UK comedies, because they have everything figured out before right. us, it is six episodes, which is so great. It was written and created by this woman, Lisa McGee. It's set in the 1980s in Northern Ireland. It is about a group of Catholic schoolgirls coming of age during the Troubles, but it is essentially like a really foul-mouthed, hilarious teenage comedy. And it has one of my favorite performances I've seen in a really long time on TV by Sorsha Monica Jackson, who plays sort of the main character who's trying to imagine herself as this really cosmopolitan, cool uh, intellectual. And it's just, it's so funny. Like the, the performances are so amazing. And it's like a really great foul mouth teenage comedy. There's a supporting actress on that show who I literally only know is the girl with the face because she just has the most <laughs> elastic, amazing facial expressions yeah. and is such a great discovery. But keeping in the comedy wheelhouse, my next pick, I just called it best star vehicle because I feel like it's very common in TV going back to, you know, the first stand-up boom of the 80s and 90s. But, you know, we know... It's very familiar by now to hear that, like, someone has gotten their own semi-autobiographical half yeah. hour and feel like you kind of, you know what you're getting. It's going to be, like, maybe a little surreal but and kind of artsy, but mostly funny and mostly pulled from this person's own life. And one of the things I really loved about Russian Doll mm -hmm. 
was it felt like it was the result of that same approach of like let's give a show to Natasha Leone and let her be Natasha right. Leone in front of a camera and that character is not a particularly like modulated version of her real life persona but then she and Leslie Headland and Amy Poehler decided to go in this incredibly high concept baroque sci-fi genre direction with the groundhog day structure mm-hmm. and i thought it was such a like above and beyond extra credit on the assignment. They easily could have just done Natasha Leone and Greta Lee hanging out in the East Village with no real plot for 10 episodes, and I'm sure I would have loved that. But the fact that they, like, didn't rest on their laurels and tried to do something even more ambitious is part of what I loved and respected about that show so much, which was obviously one of the Ringer's so the, favorites. the best use of, like, giving someone a show to make out of their life, basically. Yeah, like, the best use of the Louis Seinfeld Atlanta. Rami also falls into this category, but I thought Russian Doll would, yeah. went the extra mile. Uh, my second one is the best use of IP which is a, obviously a big watch uh, <laughs> yes. thing. But other, you know, you'd, you'd expect me to say something probably a little bit more superhero-y, but I'm going to go with what we do in the shadows, which Allison and I have actually talked about a fair amount. So I won't belabor the point just to say that this is an idea that like did not need to be extrapolated from a movie. You know, like they didn't need to make a TV show out of the movie, what we do in the shadows, but they somehow landed on maybe like my favorite comedy I've seen this year by just really, really, really boring deep into the jokes that they have at their disposal of a bunch of vampires trapped in Staten Island. And it's just an incredible show. Word on the street is that they are just assembling the season two writer's room. Nice. So keep an eye out for that. breaking gossip there. What's your third one? Little intel. Uh, My third one is best Game of Thrones subtweet, which is just a (laughs) cheeky way of saying it stuck the landing. Okay. There are just a lot of really beloved shows that came to an end this year, and I thought did so quite well. I really love the Broad City finale. That was very emotional. The Veep finale we've talked about was like really sharp and bilious and vicious and the way that Veep really could be at its best. But my favorite show that wound down in an impressive way to me was Catastrophe. Oh, yeah. Which the first season of the show is obviously getting the couple together and setting up the whole premise of them being a family. The second and third seasons see Rob and Sharon undergo real stresses to their marriage, which makes sense because conflict is what TV is about. And the fourth season I really loved because like the first three and like Dairy Girls, it's just six episodes. It's very compact. But it's it finds the couple in a relatively happy and stable place. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not quite as all-consuming a sword hanging over it as, like, Sharon's kind of sort of infidelity. And yet, it is so pleasurable and interesting and rich to watch, even though, like, there's basically nothing more to the premise anymore except these people existing as a family. Sure. And it does that thing that you find in, like, Richard Linklater movies that's so hard to do, which is... You really get the feeling that these are just people hanging out with each other and yeah. being entertaining. That's a really good comparison, yeah. Yeah, and like obviously no one, including Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan, is naturally that funny and interesting all the time in real life, but you feel like you are eavesdropping on an actual marriage. And I wrote about this in the piece I wrote, but like even though it, I knew it was ending, this season felt like the ultimate, I could literally just watch this fictional couple. Yeah, in exist. a different world back in like if this was a 1980 show, you'd be happy to have this be on for 9 seasons. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, they seem to end it at the correct point and they ended it so well, but it, I just thought it was an incredibly impressive final season. Also, had a great Game of Thrones joke. In the in oh, catastrophe. Yes. <laughs> that was <laughs> Honestly, it's not even a joke. It's just 
the way Sharon Horgan pronounces the word pervert yes. in an Irish accent. At one point, Sharon Horgan is like, do you expect me to watch Game of Thrones by myself like a pervert? <laughs> or something like that. Um, I'm going to go for TV is the fucking best. <laughs> this is my, my award for TV is the fucking best goes to Ronnie Lilly, the episode of Barry, which was just sort of like, that one of those moments when you're watching TV and, you know, they come fewer and farther in between now. I think that the uh, last episode of Fleabag this this year was like this. I think there were moments of Game of Thrones that, that were like this. But basically where you feel like as a viewer, like you're levitating and you can't quite believe that they've gotten what you're watching on television. And sometimes it's for the, for it. Sometimes it can be like you're watching Too Old to Die Young and you can be like, I can't believe this is on television. But with Ronnie, <laughs> yeah, Lily, there are different gradations of the tone that you yeah, can give to that statement <laughs> with the episode of Barry. Uh, I just thought it took that show. Not even like narrative wise, because it was somewhat in the realm of the kind of stuff that happens on it. But the way they told the story felt so unlike anything else. And the the way in which it was like anything could happen in this weird part of the valley and that even there's something supernatural going on, but it feels right within the world of Barry was just like an awesome, awesome, awesome episode of television. I agree. And full disclosure, I had Barry on my runners-up list and then it was like, I shouldn't put it on my main list because Chris definitely will. <laughs> so but we know each other's taste. Yes. What's your next one? My next one is one I am 100% certain is not on your list, which is uh, Best Bojack Horseman Placebo, which there is a show on Netflix (laughs) called Tuca and Birdie. It is created by Lisa Hanawalt, who is the art director of Bojack Horseman. And that's obviously like a fun hook to give, but I think one of the most rewarding and gratifying parts of the show is... Lisa's been an independent comics artist for years and years and years. She has her own body of work and her own sensibility. Mm-hmm. And Bojack Horseman, she definitely creates the visual world, but it's in partnership with her friend Raphael Bob Blacksburg, who very much supplies like the writing and the literary sensibility sure. of that show. And Tuca and Birdie is this great opportunity for just the unfiltered Lisa Hanewald experience with the help of Tiffany Haddish and Ali Wong as the titular like bird friends who hang out. And... You know, for someone who's familiar with Lisa Hanawalt's work, it's very fun to see, like, her universe of sexy plants and boob and fart jokes. <laughs> and, you know, it's a lot more, like, scatological yeah. and raw than BoJack Horseman. But then also, it achieves a similar effect where the first few episodes, I was like, oh, it's lighter than BoJack. It's a little more sitcom-y and that there's a plot of the week, even though it's about very, like, 30-something problems, like, dating while sober and moving in with your partner. Right. And then at the end of, by the end of the season, you're like, oh, holy shit, I was not quite prepared for it to go to this very, not necessarily dark, but, like, deep and serious place about, I won't spoil the specifics, but one of the main characters has a trauma in their past, and it just really nails that balance of totally off-the-wall, surreal jokes where you're like, I'm so glad I'm getting to watch someone just dump their brain out in front of me because what is in there is so interesting. But then also, by the end, you really feel like you've been taken on a journey. And also, there's just lots of great, like, pastry jokes, which, as you know, (laughs) is very much in my wheelhouse. It's up your alley, yeah. Uh, My next one, so I think we're on four now? Yeah, I've done four. Okay, so my next one would be the best pair of performances in a non-Phoebe Waller-Bridge Andrew Scott category, Mm -hmm. and that goes to uh, Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams for Fosse Verdon. I think... uh, We didn't really get a chance to talk too much about, like, the second half of this season on The Watch, but suffice to say, the performances, I think, are always interesting, and I think that there is... Your mileage may vary on 
Whether or not you think like Michelle Williams was pitch perfect as Gwen Verdon, and there are some people who are like, well, I'm judging it against this dancing or this performance or like Bob Fosse was or wasn't like this. But as performances almost separated from the biographical material that they were based on, I just thought they were incredibly nuanced and very adult, you know, and it's like that's still something that I think TV has become the kind of place where adults can go watch their own stories sometimes and the, as the movie theater becomes increasingly more genrefied. But I just found that their portrayal of a really, really, really fucked up relationship was always rewarding week to week, even if there were times when maybe the story or the the way the show was made didn't quite live up to like the, the my expectations of it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. As someone who was a little bit ambivalent about the show as a whole, the unambiguously great parts of it were, I thought particularly Michelle Williams, because I thought Rockwell had a little bit of a harder lift and that he has to go up against both the real Bob Fosse and Roy Scheider's iconic portrayal of effectively Bob Fosse. And so I think that performance, I had a little more, like, probably unfair just baggage going into it. And I thought Michelle Williams just... Because her job is to represent someone who has not been fairly or completely represented in the past, got a real chance to shine. Yeah. So what's your fifth? I mean, you can probably guess it was in the lead up to your (laughs) previous category. You know, I don't know how much new there is to say about it, but, you know, we've done Best Bojack Horseman Placebo, Best Game of Thrones Subtweet, Best Star Vehicle. I just went Best Best. It's Fleabag. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about it on Thursday. Like, it's kind of... I still see now it coming up. I can't remember. Oh, Maggie Gyllenhaal. I read an interview with Maggie Gyllenhaal on Vulture, and she was just sort of like, I don't really watch TV. And she's like, but Fleabag. Like, it's it's now permeated to the point where I think it's now just like every single person, it's like a rite of passage. You just kind of go watch Fleabag, and you come out the other side, and you're like, yeah, it's the best thing I saw. Yeah, this is maybe a sideways plug for something else, but John Early and Kate Berlant just put out another great short. They've done so much great work together. But it's, it's a short about like a weird person played by Kate Berland who just like invades John Early's home and invites herself over and in this really great interview on Vulture someone was like oh who would you like do this to in real life and Kate Berland was immediately like well obviously Phoebe Waller-Bridge yeah. I'm just obsessed with her yeah and I literally wrote a blurb this morning for our upcoming best TV moments of the year that was about the priest's love is awful speech and even you know we've said so much we've written thousands of words and even then I was like I'm still so excited to just talk about the show it that's just the makes best. me so yeah. happy it's that that is like when Thrones was at its peak I think that's what it was giving people is that like it's like such motivation to really explore you know yeah and the same like iceberg quality of richness. Yes, it's like I absolutely. can, you know, and in Game of Thrones, it's a very literal, there's just like thousands of pages of lore for every minute of screen time. And this was almost like there's thousands of words of like psychological subtext to every little gesture. Yeah. I wanted, this is sort of an odd one to end on. I had a couple of others scattered around, like, you know, scariest moment was the pink room scene in True Detective or something like that. But I did want to say, uh, because I, I recently caught up on a lot of it, and it is probably the strangest use of talent and resources towards like a very good thing that no one actually is going to like recall, which is Catch Twenty Two on Hulu, and it's yeah. quite good, and it's got George Clooney in it. <laughs> you and know? came and went, and he directed it. You know, or he he's behind a lot of it, and um, you know, he and Grant Helsoff worked on it. It stars Christopher Abbott, who you might remember from Girls. Hugh Laurie is in it. Kyle Chandler is in it. George Clooney is in it. Mm -hmm. And it kind of just went unremarked upon. Now, part of that 
might be just how much stuff is out there and when it came out, which was like an early spring thing and it was going up against a lot of blockbuster stuff in TV and it is it is obviously somewhat dated material, but I think part of the reason why Catch-22 has been such a staple of people's lives over the years is the fact that it ha- has a certain timeless quality. But it was really interesting to see someone do a very good version of this that you know obviously pays homage to the Mike Nichols version and Mike Nichols is obviously a huge influence on George Clooney but had some new things to say and yet I was just kind of like oh like they made Catch-22 that's pretty cool I don't really know what it was about 2019 that they thought they needed to do it I think it was also it was certainly a little bit stylized but it was a fairly loyal adaptation Mm -hmm. and I feel like for an adaptation to really stand out it has to be something like what Alex Garland did with Annihilation where it's just like this is a completely different thing that uses the original as like a prompt but it does something to change it so it's not just like yeah it's a good version of Catch-22 but like you know Catch-22 right and if you don't I don't know what it the, the idea of war being madness is not really news to a lot of people. Yeah, or like almost something like Chernobyl kind of got at a similar, like, we're going to talk about an old, awful bureaucracy that allowed senseless slaughter to happen, but because it hadn't really been dramatized in that specific way with those specific people before, I think that got a lot more people's attention than like this literal story you know that already has an adaptation. Absolutely. Okay, so thank you to Allison for coming on and talking TV superlatives. I've got Jason Gallagher coming on next to talk about the first two episodes of season three of Dark. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by City on a Hill, the action-packed new drama from Showtime, the same network that brought you Billions, Homeland, and Ray Donovan. Set in a volatile early 90s era Boston when police corruption ran rampant through a system plagued by racism, City on a Hill stars award-winning actors Kevin Bacon and Aldous Hodge. The new series follows an upstanding district attorney played by Hodge who teams up with a corrupt FBI agent played by Bacon. The two form an unlikely alliance to take down a local crime family and clean up the city. Executive produced by Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, and Tom Fontana to stream the first episode for free, Go to show, sho.com slash city. City on a Hill airs Sundays at 9 p.m. only on Showtime. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Just Crack an Egg. Are you wanting to put the heat back into your relationship with breakfast? A hot breakfast can seem like too much work, but not when you head over to the egg aisle and pick up Just Crack an Egg. Just Crack an Egg is a hot, fluffy breakfast scramble that'll have you falling in love with hot breakfast all over again. Simply crack a fresh egg over their hearty breakfast fixins, then stir, microwave, and reignite your love of breakfast in less than two minutes. Something else you'll love about Just Crack an Egg? It has no artificial flavors, dyes, or preservatives. Plus, it comes in seven different varieties, including veggie, Denver, Southwest-style, protein-packed, and All-American. You may not know me from my looks, but I like to get after it in the gym. And when I do, nothing refuels me like a protein-packed just crack an egg. Seriously, don't wait for the weekend to add a hot little hearty breakfast to your AM. It's time to run with your arms wide open to the egg aisle and take breakfast back with Just Crack an Egg. All right, now I'm joined by my buddy Jason Gallagher. Say what's up. Hi, hello, thank Gallagher you. Gallagher works here at The Ringer. He makes incredible videos. He works uh, on NBA desktop. He's yeah. the mind behind Take Hunter. Is that right? I feel like you're the mind behind Take Hunter. I think it was an original idea by Chris Ryan. Yeah. And then you you and Tyler really made it fly, I specifically though. remember getting the text from you. 
That's why I like to kind of like put myself in this like David O. Selznick, <laughs> uh, Jerry Bruckheimer kind of. Yeah. I come up with the ideas. You're the Adam, and I'm the Noah. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Okay, so let's start talking about Dark. Sure. Here's the deal with Dark. It's a watch pod fave. Yes. If you have never heard of it, this is going to mean absolutely nothing to you as a podcast segment. Mm-hmm. So fair warning there. Dark is a show on Netflix. Uh, it came out in the end of 2017. I, I think I'm, I don't know. I found I I discovered this show through the Watch Podcast. Okay, so I think it was like a late period. It was either at the end of seventeen or the beginning of eighteen. I can't really remember. I remember right. watching it over the holidays. Yes, so yes. it probably was the end of seventeen. Mm-hmm. And it's a German show. Yeah, it is. Um, best way to describe it is a combination of Lost, Stranger Things. Is there a third thing you think? Prisoners, maybe uh, the Book of Genesis. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it, it it is a essentially a time traveling yeah. show mystery. It's like a crime procedural meets a time travel show yes. that is got its own entirely its own mythology. It's set in a small German town called Winden, uh-huh. and it takes place in multiple timelines in the nineteen fifties and the nineteen eighties and. In our sort of present day. Yeah, it's like 2020, 2019. And then at the end of the first season, spoiler, we find out that we also are going to 2050. Yes. Something. So we go into a dystopian future where something terrible has happened to society. And there are basically like roving bands of people like driving around, (laughs) attacking one another. We don't really know why. 2017 is a long time ago. Yeah. And so it was with great excitement that I welcomed Dark back into my life in June of 2019. But a show this complicated, Jason, yeah, it's like having an, uh, that long of a break from it, you really needed to do your workout plan to yeah. get ready for this show. Yeah, I felt like um, I felt like as a person who makes memes, I started to look <laughs> up like what meme equivalent is this? And it's really like putting together Ikea furniture where it's just like, you're just sitting there with a map and you're like, I don't know if this piece goes with this piece. And they all look kind of similar. And it's just, I underestimated how much I needed to prepare for this show. When I watched the, hey, uh, you know. Last time on Dark. Yeah, Yeah. recap of season one on Dark. I, I like- I thought it was, it was like a bit. I was like, yeah. all this did was was confuse me. And then uh, I opened up several tabs and then began my watch, but like almost immediately paused to be like, okay. So this, this is a guy show is this that guy. Yeah. It has a, you need to have a character list and essentially a, a timeline chart you to have watch to. the show. And even on purpose, sometimes it skewers whether... A character from 2019 is mm-hmm. actually in 1953 via yeah. time travel. And it's unclear whether or not, like, what you can do to affect the timelines, basically. Yes. Because right now, as we get into the, the second season, and Jason and I are going to talk about the first two episodes. Yes. Um, there's a lot of, like, people in different timelines, stuck in different timelines, and yet we're not getting the Back to the Future effect where everything is different. It's closer more to... Uh, basically like X-Men where like as soon as you go back that's reality it's not it's not you're not like wiping your own existence out although I could be wrong yeah I mean there's a decent chance any like as I was taking notes I would have to go like I was taking notes for this podcast and then I just found it actually pretty helpful to take notes as I was watching but I would have to go back and be like that rule doesn't apply yeah like it was like really crazy yeah yeah so basically Doing a great job selling this. Part show. of the reason why I loved Dark in the first season yeah. 
was that it starts out as a missing kid criminal procedural right. and a really nice cross-section of this small German town that has a nuclear facility there, but is essentially like this idyllic German town. Yes. And of course, like all idyllic German towns, there's a ton of strange disappearances, yeah. adultery, regret, uh, heartbreak, and secrets that are like right under the surface. And this show kind of tracks it as all of those secrets come spilling out into the light. And they are, the triggering event to bring those secrets out is the disappearance of a kid who basically walks into a cave near the nuclear power plant and never comes out. Right. That was something that was revealed over the course of the first few episodes of the season. Like, mm-hmm. it starts out, it's pretty much like, oh, this is like Broadchurch or something. Like, this is this right. like a really sad, like, kid goes missing thing. And then it just keeps ramping up the, like, levels of sci-fi and time travel and mind-bending astrophysics and stuff like that. And it's really, 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 really awesome. It was one of my favorite shows in 2017. I still really like it. Yeah, no, it's, like, my favorite thing. But that whole thing about, like, we're dipping slowly into the pool is gone. Right, no. I I mean, my journey was similar to yours. I was, like, it's the Stranger Things meets Broadchurch. And then it was, like, oh, wait, okay, so there's a time travel element. Yeah. Oh, my God. And now I'm at the the point of like good versus evil and creation and you know like dipping into like my old like religious ways and yeah. like it's like really <laughs> i cannot believe that this show is is making me do this because if you would tell if you would describe to me what dark is now it, i would be so probably out on it because i would be like you know a show that exists just to to twist yeah. is not compelling to me anymore. I don't even know if it's twisting, but it's but, like a show that needs its own weird spiral back yeah. notebook filled with notes about what's happening at any right. given moment is really like, a, a, it's a big demand. Right. And, and, but because of the story that they've created, it, it, you literally can't tell it without these, these, I remember Andy talking about it last year about how like it, it seems like it's telling a story and these, and these uh, twists are falling naturally into place. Yes. As opposed to like, let's say like Westworld or something that would, it seemed like it only exists yeah, to surprise you. Yeah, yeah. it's like, oh my God. But this one, it was like, with all these characters not knowing where they are, who they are, when they are, mm-hmm. it, it naturally just like constantly surprised you. There was a really close relationship between the reveals that we were getting about like the time travel in the first season and yeah. what those reveals wound up meaning to certain characters. Right. So... Let's say a kid like Jonas, who was like, obviously just felt like something was wrong in his life and mm-hmm. obvi- and had been dealing with tragedy. The time travel storyline that he encounters and the sort of greater sense of purpose that he finds yeah. winds up like dovetailing perfectly with what's how, how screwed up his home life is. Right. And so early on in the second season, that, so that, that part of the show is kind of gone. What's there is... These people have just, like, figured out, like, a completely, like, out-of-whole-cloth world to, like, make this show in. Yeah. You know, in a, in a time when it's, like, basically, like, everything has to be part of an ex- you know extended universe IP that people are already familiar with. Like, they've done a really good job of being, like, this is a battle of good and evil that takes place across right. time. And... It's really, it's kind of awesome. Yeah, I, I don't think I was ever as captivated by like a single season of show as I was, or I hadn't been in a long, long yeah. time by Dark. And so that's, I was a little, you know, when they when they opened up the future thing, I was like, oh my God. But then going to the next season, this season two, I was a little, a little like, could they keep it good? And like, they're just, they're continuing to reveal these these uh, threads that that just affect 
everything you saw in the previous yeah. previous season. It is such a mind-blowing show. But I'm it's also like I don't know if I'm particularly captivated because it's in German and it's so complicated and literally I cannot like read a text without having to stop and rewind it because like you can't miss a single moment. you really can't. And especially in the beginning of the second season, rather than it being like a lot of scene setting. And one of the cool things about season one, and Jason and I really enjoyed this, was that it didn't even just have all this mythology and this really dense plot and these really interesting characters, but it had like a really well-defined aesthetic. Yes. So (laughs) the aesthetic. If you can watch season one of Dark and not immediately want to like liquidate your bank account to get a really cool Audi station wagon, (laughs) I I defy you to do that. And also just like go go long on Patagonia rainwear. Yeah. Because the vibe is incredibly overcast. It definitely it's real drizzly. <laughs> it, I, I don't know if it's like cool or not that it affected your and I's wardrobe. No, like it, legit, I don't think it's cool. We legitimately. live in Los Angeles. We have no need for this much rain here. <laughs> <laughs> Chris and I started showing up in oversized raincoats, and we were just like, we had. We, it was such a mood. It we, was like <laughs> June, and we. I was like, I really want to wear Red Wings. Yeah. At a Patagonia, <laughs> and drive around in a tinted window. Audi station wagon looking for for like right time travel portals. Should I just wet my hair and then show up to work? <laughs> <laughs> like let it fall down. Yeah. yeah. So what were your big questions coming out of these first two episodes? So now we're going to get into oh obviously God. spoilery of the first two episodes, but this is just a discussion where we immediately get into it and we've got the 2053 mm-hmm. plot line jamming where yeah. it's Jonas in the future. Right. We've got the stranger version of Jonas, which is the old Jonas right. who's come back to present day to see his own mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's heavy. Um, my biggest question probably revolves around the Adam character yeah. and his relationship with Noah um, with a show that has opened up a world of possibilities for characters and who they are and what they are. I'm like, I wonder who Adam is. Like, Adam could literally be anything he or anyone. Be, he could be Adam. Yeah, I mean, he could, <laughs> he could be, be a Adam guy named Adam, Adam, but he could no, also— but he could be like Adam of Adam and Eve. Yo, yeah, yeah, I have no idea. Well, I mean, there's like actually like a decent chance that that's it. Okay, and it's so like, do you, did you look something up to tell you that or— No, no, I just—I, as a I, full disclosure, you know, I grew up going to church and everything like that, and this whole sto- story with uh, with Noah, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, like, it's, it's the exact story of Noah's Ark, basically, yeah. which is, you know— that God is uh, displeased with humanity and wants to restart the world, basically. Yeah. And he he entrusts Noah to carry out that act. I mean, it's the exact same thing. And so uh, and every Noah, single character on this show, I have looked up to see if there's like a biblical uh, <laughs> version this of this character. Was. I there, mean, and so that's like where I'm at. Yeah. Lost, where people were just like, why is this character named Ruth? Yes. Let's go read any biblical reference to Ruth. Let's go right. figure out what this possibly could mean. The the big question, I think, in the back of my mind uh-huh. as we get into this season, and you basically on one side, at least on the surface, on the one side, there's Adam and Noah who have been orchestrating the kidnappings and, and right. experimentation on these kids over the over decades. Yeah. And in this small German town and wherever else they've been going to do that. And then on the other side, fighting for the future by all accounts, is Claudia, uh-huh. who we meet in 1986 
right? As, That's when we're first introduced to her, yeah. As the head of the nuclear power plant. Claudia She's just taken over Tiedemann. Tiedemann. And then in the future, she is basically like the old version of Sarah Connor from the Terminator right. movies. And she's now come back to 86 to see her, her own s- past self. Right. But one idea that got brought up in the first season mm-hmm. is that it's really a matter of perception. Of who's right and wrong. Yes. Right. Which, is, which goes back to sort of the... As the season has has gone on, I've sort of been like, I wonder if Noah's right. I, I don't know. Like, yeah. I have no idea. I mean, think about think about if you lived in that time. Which time? The time of Noah's Ark. Oh yeah. Okay. okay. God, and I'm, and I'm you're there. like, I'm there. God, you know, like in 2019, we're you know we're teaching Bible studies about it. It's a good happy story sure. that children are learning about. Yeah. But if you live in that time, you think that the devil is coming for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, who is good and who is evil, and like all this stuff is. It it really deeply like this it, is all I think about when I go to sleep at night. <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, and the and basically the extent to which people will go right to do what they think is right, right, and to do what they think maybe God is telling them to do, or do do what they need to do to save everyone, even yes. if it means sacrificing a few. Right. So that is the kind of stuff that this show is about. The fits are still good. Yeah, I mean, we if we show up if we show up like Jonas. Now it would be a tough look for us. Yeah, I think so. Jonas essentially <laughs> dresses like uh, like Mel Gibson in the beginning of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Right. <laughs> uh, they have like a quick 80, 1986 like digression in this one in yeah. the season so far, where Mickle is wearing like you know like a comic book T shirt with shorts and wearing sandals. Have yeah. you ever had a Hawaiian toast? That comes up in the second one. No, I guess that's is just that pineapples thing? on toast. That doesn't sound great. Yeah, hard pass. German, no. <laughs> but the, what German people I think yeah. have like like exotic ideas about dessert. I like Hawaiian pizza, so I could I could I'm probably fine with. Kai, do you pizza. like Hawaiian pizza? Love it. Oh, see, do you? Uh, I've only actually had it once. What's happening? I don't know. I mean, it was just like I come from the East Coast. You just, I've only had one Yingling, so that's. Did you, you like it? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's like a. It was like a the best version I don't know of if a Yingling in Hawaiian pizza. I mean, you can't get a Yingling at a Domino's. <laughs> uh, what else did we want to talk about with this? Like, what? what where? Do you have any other critiques or do you any other like celebra- celebratory like raves about this the second season so far? Um, so far, I mean, like, so I've watched three. Mm-hmm. Just full disclosure, and I really the Ulrich character is like super interesting. Yeah, he's still and his. And relation- two, we see that he is in a mental institution. Right. In the fifties, yeah. right? Yeah, he's got he's he kind of has like a, a tough look going for him right yeah. now, and his relationship with Agon, um, episode three really touches on that okay. quite a bit. But I'm really curious about the future still. Like that, that's that's pretty much unexplained. You yeah, know, they what, really obviously laid that out. there's a subsect of people that have survived whatever this apocalypse is. They're setting up this big apocalyptic moment that's going to take place. You know, at the beginning of all uh, all the episodes in season two. Um, it's the episode opens with how you know five days until the apocalypse mm-hmm. or whatever. So, and I'm, that's in 2019, right? Right, and so or I'm 20. Right, so there's clearly a group of people that have survived it. I'm just so I'm curious about the future, like the whole the the scene where Jonas is is in the nuclear power plant trying to restart the God particle, mm-hmm. and then you know starts playing suspicious games and and like it was it was such a while <laughs> like I would love to spend a little more time in the in the 2052 in timeline the, in the early I'm I'm sure people already know this if they've watched ahead but it, am I right in saying that there are 
multiple factions in the future where it's like it seems to be Mm -hmm. the people that Jonas is with but is also like broken the rules of and then there's like more of a paramilitary group yeah it seems like somebody's got helicopters that are flying over the forest right right okay so there may (laughs) still be and they seem to all be waiting for some deliverance to paradise that they think that they can get to if they stay out of the dead zone which Jonas is trying to dissuade them of that idea right and that I think that paradise was I mean it's discussed by Noah isn't it yes yeah so is that a is that a group that that follows Adam somehow like I I don't or is it you know I think that what what this show kind of gets at is because people are able to go back and forth across time and basically offer moments of of comfort to grieving parents and 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 grieving children and yeah. fix the wrongs of the past. I wonder if paradise is really just that ability to constantly be there for people, but I don't I don't know. I mean this show you could it could it could go back to the biblical times in episode 5 and I wouldn't be surprised. That that's that's the biggest effect of season 2 to me is that you know in season 1 it's so crazy how much this show has expanded yes. upon itself like it's so crazy to think about episode 1 and what my perception of this show was and how it was like Again, it was German Stranger Things. I was like, "Is dope." They're just, you know doing sick, drugs, sick rain and, jacket, yeah, yeah, and like that, yeah. you know. But now it's like this: Are we gonna? Are are we witnessing like a story like, of the creation of Earth? Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Like, like that's that's what I'm so like. It's de- it definitely feels like late period Battlestar Galactica in that way. Yeah. Um, okay. I think what we'll probably do is we'll just, we've done these first two episodes. Yeah. I think uh, maybe next Monday, Jason, we'll come back and we'll talk about like kind of the middle section of episodes for Dark because I know that you guys really enjoyed it. It's a really complicated show this season. I, one thing yeah. I think is worth talking about is this idea that, you know, whether or not we as viewers are like built for this anymore, <laughs> like to take this long of a time off in between shows right. that are this complicated. I'm trying to imagine like what would happen because it was only really like 15 months, I think, yeah. in between seasons. But it feels like it's been three years. I was just talking to a coworker, Corey, about he loved season one yeah. and is like, I have to be in a very specific place to be able to watch season two because of how much I need to catch up. Yeah. Um, because I like he's like, I can't even like, It's a very distinct, to distinctive it. choice that these guys are making. Because yeah. I remember... My wife and I said this yeah. about Ozark season two, where we were like, we just need peace and quiet for sure. Ozark. We just need to focus. <laughs> and we were like in the Orcas Islands off yeah. of Seattle, like last summer or whatever. Okay. And I was just like, it's time. Now is the time. <laughs> and, you know, it turns out Ozark pretty easy to digest. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's not follow Ozark. <laughs> I was about to say, like, this is the antithesis of but Ozark. But like, now I feel like I need to go back to the Orcas Islands and just fully digest dark. I mean, just say, look, look, this is actually true. If my if my wife and child had not gone out of town this weekend, so I was completely alone, didn't know what to do yeah. with myself. It was the perfect circumstance for me to watch dark. And in fact, I like shut off all the light. I watched it during the day and right. shut off all the lights, and I was just like in the zone. But it took me. To watch one episode, it probably took me like an hour and a yeah. half just because of how much I had to pause or, you know, like I said. if And I, yeah, you got to rewind a couple of times to be like, wait, what did that just Yeah. And you, what was she looking at? Like, it's like if so, certain things yeah. happen where there'll be cross-cutting between something that's happening in the 1986 and something that's happening in yeah. 2053, but there are characters from both time periods in each thing. Yeah. And you're like, 
wait a second, what was she looking at? Was that in 1986? Because that I think that happens when Claudia goes back in time right. to give herself the time machine. Yeah. But she's burying the time machine in 1953 for 1986 Claudia to find it. And she comes back from 2053. Yes. That's really complicated. And at That's, one point, she, the old Claudia yeah. in 1953 looks up right. and sees a sign for coming soon, the town of Winden. Right. We're going to build it around this nuclear power plant. Yes. That's and, nuts. I know. <laughs> and like, there's some information that like, it's it's presented to you with a, a like a line of a subtitle line, and yeah. that's it. Yeah. And if you miss that one subtitle line, you have missed. You're screwed. You're screwed. Yeah. It's so crazy. You can't miss anything. Like it, it. There's stuff that happens in 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 episode three that it's just like if you miss that, you're done. Yeah. You're toast. All right. So Jason will come back. We're going to talk about like the middle couple of episodes in about a week. So you guys have Sweet. some time to catch up. And to watch all the YouTube explainers on what happens in the first season. <laughs> yeah, we got to get, like, the thing that I'm most happy about is in the future that those flashlights really just, like... The orbs. The orbs are fine. They're really widely every, distributed. But every, otherwise, he has to build a time machine out of old Walkman parts. Everyone looks like hell. He's walking around with, like, a Discman, and then he's just got this, like, awesome orb in his hand. I don't understand hand. why they're like, yeah, you have the power to illuminate a forest, but you can't start up this, like, small generator. Preserve the orbs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right, thanks for stopping by, Jason. Thanks, man. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by City on a Hill, the new drama series from Showtime starring Kevin Bacon and Aldous Hodge. City on a Hill airs Sundays at 9 p.m. only on Showtime.